The Body in the Beauty Parlor by Judy Lynn. In their hair salon, Jazzy's mother and her sister Olivia bring fashion and flair to the folks of Rivers Bluff, Indiana. While their newest hairstylist, Misty, is caught scamming clients, Olivia fires her. Misty retaliates with a defamation lawsuit, which she is more than happy to drop if Olivia pays her ten grand. But neither blackmail nor courtroom frees are accrued after Misty's body is discovered in the salon with Olivia's scissors stuck in her chest. Now it's up to Jazzy to clear her sister's name while the killer could be a mere hair's breadth away. The Body in the Beauty Parlor, a Jazzy Xander mystery by Judy Lynn, is available everywhere you get your books. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. This is season four, A Word Before Dying. This season contains original stories written just for you and built around that classic mystery theme of the last words spoken by the dying victim. Episode one is The Haves and the Have-Nots. This is Nuts by Judy Lynn. Welcome to season four, Jack. Man, I messed up so much on that. <laughs> well, it is live music. <laughs> like three times. I have not played that in a while. <laughs> We've had a little bit of a break here since we wrapped up season three sort of unexpectedly early. Thank you, life as we know it. But uh, we're back with season four. Yep. So to uh, to bring everybody up to speed, our first season was the adaptation of my book, Widow's Run. And I think, Jack, I would call that a learning season. We were learning how to podcast. We were learning how to record live music. I just want to say, I hope the author for the advertisement's name, I hope her name is not like a pen name because Jazzy's an amazing name. Anyway, <laughs> other than that. No. In season two, we did adaptations of the first stories to be called mysteries. So, I mean, we started there in like 1805, 1815. No, we started three years ago. What did you say? We started three years ago. We're on season season four. We didn't start that long ago. It was season two. Did I say two years ago? I don't know. What happened? We're moving on. Okay. Season three, we did adaptations of the first cases for serial detectives. So what? We did Poirot. We did Holmes. We met a lot of new characters that we really liked. At least I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this season, we're going to original stories. And hey, everyone, Jack's writing a story. So I can't remember if I've slotted yours yet. Yours might actually be like episode four. Didn't you four. say six? You told me it was six. I know, but I've rearranged them a little bit as, as they're coming in. I'm just putting them in the order the authors are getting us. Did you proofread mine yet? Not yet. Well, this you might should. There's short. one part where I didn't know what to do. Okay. So it just says <laughs> the author was too lazy. <laughs> And I think I'm going to keep it because that's that's a fun part for me. (laughs) Leave that in. Anyway. Well, one of the other things we're going to change up this season is we're going to go straight into the story and then we're going to do our fun facts and witty banter afterward. 
And so with that, Jack, let's figure out what the baseline's going to be because we're going to dive right into Nuts by Judy Lynn. <laughs> oh, we're going with jazz? It's not a jazzy Xander mystery. <laughs> Chapter One, A First Wedding Anniversary Complication Laura was about to punch in the code numbers the owner of the Airbnb had given her when its door creaked open. Hmm, the owner must have forgotten to lock up when she left. Grabbing her grocery bags, Laura bumped the door open the rest of the way with her hip. She pushed her way into the foyer and held the door so that Nick could follow, rolling in their big cooler. They decided to enjoy a long weekend in Lake Michigan for their first year anniversary, and they'd come prepared. Bottles of wine, fresh crab cakes from the seafood market in town, frozen shrimp, filet mignon, croissants, and bags of salad. It was time to indulge. Their first year together had gone fast. Nick had finished and sold his true crime novel based on the midlife murderer. Laurel had volunteered random hours at the soup kitchen and hospital. Their kitten had grown into a cat, and Laurel had put out extra bowls of food and water before they left. The house they rented overlooked the water. Its backyard ended in sand. In early July, Lake Michigan's water was still too cold to enjoy, but they could walk the dunes and ride the ferry that crossed the river on the other side to the small tourist town. Shops and restaurants looked intriguing, plenty of spots to eat lunches out while watching boats dock nearby. Four days of fun. The Airbnb was even better than they expected. A gray shingled two-story with a wraparound porch, they walked into a large airy sitting area divided by a huge island from a gourmet kitchen with all-white cupboard, cupboards and butcher black countertops. Laurel circled the island to reach the cupboards, but had to stop abruptly to keep from tripping over a woman sprawled on the floor, fighting for breath. Thin and older, with dark hair threaded with silver, she gasped, trying to suck in air. Laurel tossed her bags on the island and dropped down beside her. Nick, call 911! Nick let go of the cooler and reached for his phone. Where does it hurt? Laurel asked. Did you swallow something that got stuck? The woman shook her head, desperately clawing for something in her purse. Laurel grabbed the purse and turned it upside down, scattering its contents across the oak planks. Do you have pills? Nitroglycerin? What are you looking for? Pleaded with wrinkles, the woman's face was turning slightly blue. She gripped Laurel's arm and wheezed, Nuts! Nuts! Oh crap, an allergic reaction? Laura asked. A slight nod as the woman's throat constricted more. A retired nurse, Laurel, knew there wasn't much she could do for her. Do you have an EpiPen? The woman's lips moved, but she couldn't talk. She pointed to a kitchen drawer. Nick dug through it, shaking his head. I don't see a pen. Laurel pulled the drawer out of its opening and dumped it on the island's counter. Only a can opener, wine cork, scissors, and odds and ends. Nick searched through more drawers. Nothing. Laurel turned to ask the woman another place it might be, but she'd lost consciousness. We're losing her, Nick. Nick opened and shut cupboards, hoping the pen had just been misplaced. 
Just then, an ambulance pulled in the driveway and he ran to meet them. It's an allergic reaction. She can't breathe. One of the EMTs reached for an EpiPen and they rushed inside. Laurel and Nick stood out of the way as the EMTs worked on her, but she was unresponsive as they loaded her onto a stretcher to take her to the hospital. Will she make it, Nick asked. It's going to be close, the one who administered the shot said. Do you know her? Nick shook his head, holding the door as they wheeled her to the ambulance. We rented the house for four days and found her on the floor. The second EMT said, she's its owner, lives about ten houses down, comes in to clean between guests. Thanks for calling. He finished loading her and then he and his partner were gone. The house was suddenly silent. Nick and Laura looked at each other. Not quite the romantic beginning I was hoping for, Nick said. Laurel went and wrapped her arms around him. Tall, dark, and drop-dead gorgeous, he still took her breath away. Life had given her the best of both worlds. Her first husband was kind and scholarly. Nick was smart and glamorous. Instead of writing scholarly treatises, he worked as a crime reporter. Smiling, Nick bent to kiss the top of her head, burrowing his face in her tassel of brown curls. We had a shaky start, but let's put our food away, open the champagne, and then we can get our suitcases and check out the house. Deal. She started digging through the cooler until she found the seafood salad and crackers she bought, and she put them out as Nick popped the champagne and poured them each, of a each a glass. To us, she said. They walked outside to the wraparound porch and stared out at the sandy beach just behind the house. Nick looked at the lapping waves. The water looks cold, but it's beautiful. Does it ever get warm enough to swim in? Sure, he said, maybe by late August. That's too far away. He'd moved in with her in early June. They went to the Justice of the Peace later that month. Today, they sat outside to eat their snacks and sip their champagne. When they finally went inside, Laurel went to rinse their plates and stared at a dirty plastic dish and fork in the sink. Nick, I think this might be important. He came to stand behind her. Damn. She looked up at him. Should we call the police or will they think we're obsessive? I'm calling them. Nick pulled out his phone and looked up the number for the local station. When they connected, he said, we rented an Airbnb and when we got here, the owner was dying from an allergic reaction. We called 911, but I'm not sure she made it when they took her to the hospital. The man didn't hesitate. She didn't. The thing is, Nick said, there's a dirty plate in the sink. It looks like she ate something chocolate. Should we throw it away or would a doctor want to see what killed her? Don't touch anything, the man's voice turned sharp. A deputy's on his way. Right away, Nick asked. Now, the man said. Marjorie was allergic to nuts from the time she was born. She'd never eat anything she suspected might have them, and she always had her EpiPen with her. She was a friend but she was starting to get a little forgetful. We're curious what happened. Will we be allowed to stay here, Nick asked. All I want is that plate. His voice softened. As I said, Marjorie was a friend of mine. Heck, she was a friend to everyone she met. Her daughter's gonna wanna know what happened. Dan will be there soon, and when he leaves, you're free to enjoy your stay. Nick grimaced as he hung up. A deputy will be here soon. We might as well get our suitcases and stow them while we can. Laurel knew what that meant. There was something odd about this death.
was a pretty progression. Two, not an accident. When Laurel and Nick walked to his Porsche and popped the trunk, a woman started toward them from the next door. She fidgeted, nervous, and asked, I saw an ambulance leave Marjorie's house. Did she have an accident? Another woman across the street had been staring out her front door. She came to hear the news too. The person's face was covered with a sheet. Was that Marjorie? Nick hesitated and said, the ambulance didn't get here in time. She died. Died? The next door neighbor put her hand to her throat. That's impossible. Marjorie was healthy and active. I'm new here and she went out of her way to make me feel at home. Hosted an outdoor barbecue so I could meet the people on the block. She was always doing something nice for somebody. She had an allergic reaction to nuts, Laurel said. Her throat swelled shut. The woman put an arm out to catch herself, bracing herself on Nick's car. Oh my God, I killed her. I just took over a cheese ball and crackers for her to enjoy and I had rolled it in pecan pieces. Don't be silly, Elaine, the other lady said. Marjorie gave the cheese ball to me. She knew she couldn't eat it and didn't want to hurt your feelings. Whew, Elaine let out a shaky breath and then looked at her friend. I thought I noticed someone drop something off for her after lunch. Did you see anything? The other woman hesitated. Come to think of it, a white van parked in front of Marjorie's house. I was trimming my roses though and I didn't pay much attention. They were standing there talking when Deputy Dan arrived. He looked at the women. Hey Elaine, Dottie, you saw them carry Marjorie out? They both nodded. Did anything unusual happen today? Dan asked. Dottie spoke first. A, a van dropped something off, but we were both busy. Neither of us paid attention. No reason to, he said. But if you think of anything, let me know. He turned to Nick and Laurel. You have something for me? They walked inside the house. Nick went to the sink and showed him the plastic plate and fork. Marjorie was fastidious, Dan said. The allergy must have hit her before she rinsed these to throw away. He opened an evidence bag and scooped the plate and fork inside. As he sealed it, he looked at the purse with his spilled contents on the floor and shook his head. Laurel said, I thought she was looking for pills or nitroglycerin, so I picked it up and dumped it. We didn't think about an EpiPen until she said, nuts. Dan nodded. I'm surprised you thought of it then. She grimaced. I'm a nurse, but there was nothing I can do to help her. I hate that feeling. You called 911. That's all anyone could have done. He heaved a sigh. This town is going to miss Marjorie. She and her husband raised their kids in this house and lived here until he died three years ago. Then she started to rent it out and moved to a small condo on the edge of town. Wouldn't hire someone to come in and clean it between guests. She said she liked keeping an eye on it and she'd stay here when it wasn't rented. She loved it, Laurel said, liking Marjorie more. She could relate. She loved her house back in Cumberland. She still lived where she and Stuart raised their two daughters. The deputy glanced around the room and shook his head. Her kids will probably sell it, the condo too. Her daughter moved a short distance away to Holland, Michigan, and her son and his wife live in Grand Rapids, but they visited Marjorie a lot, but they don't want to move back here. Should we call her daughter to ask about Marjorie's purse, Nick asked. We weren't sure what to do about it. Dan thought a minute. It would be nice if you called. 
We inform both kids about her death, but it would be more personal getting the purse from you rather than picking it up at the station. I'll send her, I'll send you her number when I get back. His answer surprised Laurel. She was hoping he'd take the purse with him. She wanted to put this whole thing behind her to enjoy her vacation. But when she looked at Nick, she could tell he was intrigued by what had happened and he was looking forward to meeting the daughter. One of the hazards of marrying a crime reporter. The deputy had agreed too easily too. He had his own ulterior motives. When Dan left, Laurel turned to Nick. You suspect foul play. I can't rule it out, he said. Neither can Dan. It would make a great story. <sighs> she sighed. This is our anniversary celebration. But she didn't fool him. He studied her. Aren't you just a little curious? Oh, damn it, she was. Okay, but we still celebrate. He reached for her and pulled her close. Believe me, I intend to. Heat rushed through her. They'd have a great four days, even if he was digging for information. Nick called Marjorie's daughter, and then they put the food away and poured second glasses of champagne. Three, death by chocolate. The bed in the master bedroom was king-sized and comfortable. Laurel stretched while Nick finished his shower and hit the play button to repeat her favorite songs. Black Velvet by Alana Miles filled the room with sensuality, followed by Dusty Springfield's Son of a Preacher Man. Then it was her turn to shower. They dressed and finally started to unpack and settle into the house, and Laurel's thoughts turned to Marjorie again. Since she died here, her car must still be in the garage. They went to see, and a Ford was parked in the far space of the two-car garage. Nick frowned at the half-filled garbage bag near the outside door. She must have meant to take this out when she left. He eyed it curiously. Do you think? Open it and see, Laurel said. And there, near the top of the trash, was a fancy red and gold striped rectangular box with sweet treats scrawled in black letters on the top of it. Nick took it out and opened it. Some kind of wonderful dessert was in this, he said. The same dessert Marjorie ate before she died, asked Laurel. Nick shrugged. It's chocolate, like the remains on the plate we found. Should we call Dan? When Nick didn't respond, Laurel raised an eyebrow. Well? Nick hesitated, then said, Either that or we can deliver the box to him after we talk to the owner of the shop. Maybe we can find something delicious there to have with supper tonight. Oh, Laurel knew him too well. The hesitation meant he had an ulterior motive. She'd guess he wanted to interview whoever sent the box. That dessert was to die for, she said. Are you allergic to anything? Only curiosity. He grinned. He knew she'd figured him out. It killed the cat, didn't it? Wait, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Can't be allergic to curiosity. That's his whole point. Stupid. Laurel smiled back. So far, it's only given you great twists for your books. Let's walk into town. Nick took the box with him as they strolled to nearby shops. They passed a window filled with home decorations. 
Laurel paused to look at fancy cards and stationery in another window, and the art store displayed beautiful statues and paintings with expensive price tags. When they found sweet treats and walked inside the French-style bakery, Laurel's mouth watered at the aromas of cinnamon and pastries. They hadn't eaten since enjoying the seafood salad they snacked on, and her stomach growled. The glass display case was filled with everything she loved. Eclairs, cream puffs, macaroons, and too many temptations to name. Once the last customer left, the owner greeted them with a smile. Do you need help deciding? Yes, but we'd like to ask you first about this. Nick held up the box. Did you deliver it to Marjorie Larwell this afternoon? The woman frowned. No. It's Marjorie's favorite chocolate raspberry cake, but she didn't order it. Are you sure? Nick asked again. She walked to a large book and glanced down at the page, shaking her head. No deliveries to Marjorie today. Nick pushed further. Could someone else have ordered it for her? As a surprise? The woman shook her head. Not unless that person picked it up and drove it to her. Does this have something to do with Marjorie's death? We've all heard about it by now. Nick nodded. We found this at our house in today's trash. At the rental? The woman turned back pages. The last time she ordered the cake was two weeks ago, and we delivered it to her condo. Are there nuts in it? Nick asked. No, the woman snapped. Everyone knows Marjorie was allergic to them. Thank you, Nick said. Then he looked to Laurel. You wanted to buy something for tonight, didn't you? His way of saying he wanted to end the conversation. The woman had been patient and helpful, so Laura ordered more than they needed. Then they headed to the town's jail. Dan was sitting behind a desk when they entered the station, and Laurel handed him two bags of cookies. He listened as Nick explained about the empty box, his frown deepening the more he heard. Something isn't right about this, Dan said. RME did me a favor and already looked at the plate, found peanut oil in the chocolate remains, said it wouldn't have taken much to affect Marjorie. Nick looked baffled. This cake doesn't use peanut oil. It was one of her favorite things from the bakery. If it came from the bakery, Dan said. I'm beginning to have doubts. So am I. Nick rubbed his chin with its five o'clock shadow. Did Marjorie have any enemies? Dan laughed. Is there anyone who hates a cocker spaniel? Marjorie was a gem. She was nice to everyone. Nick left the box with Dan, and he and Laurel returned to the Airbnb. No more sleuthing tonight, he said. I'll be your sous chef. Time to make our anniversary dinner. I saw fillets and crab cakes. Does that mean surf and turf? She smirked. I bought asparagus, too. Steaks Oscar. She was no gourmet cook, but with the crab cakes already made, she could handle this. It was one of his favorites. The only thing she might bomb on was the Bernays sauce, but she'd bought a jar of hollandaise just in case. His dark eyes lit up. I'll grill the steaks and the asparagus. Smart man. Then they turn out good. She reached for a skillet. I'm going to saute mushrooms for a side. I thought we'd have the carrot cake bars for dessert. A half hour later, they sat on the back patio to eat a romantic supper. Then they settled in front of the TV to watch Casablanca. It had been a big day, and by the time the movie ended, they headed to bed. Marjorie's daughter was coming to get her mother's purse late tomorrow afternoon. They need not rush. They could sleep in and go out for lunch. And after she left, they planned on walking on the dunes.
That was an unexpected ending. <laughs> Number four. Please don't let it be, Abigail. Nick and Laurel got up late on Saturday morning, ate pastries from the bakery in town, and drank strong coffee. It was a beautiful day, so they decided to explore the beach before going into town. It was late afternoon when they got back to meet Marjorie's daughter, Abigail. The girl blinked away tears when she entered the house, pressing her lips in a tight line of grieving. You were with my mom when she died? Abigail asked. Laurel nodded. She was digging through her purse, fighting for air. I dumped it, but there was no EpiPen. Abigail frowned. Mom always kept one in her purse. Believe me, it wasn't there, Nick said. We looked. What about the one in the junk drawer? The daughter asked. Nick and Laurel exchanged glances. We didn't find one, and we dumped that too. Mom was getting forgetful, Abigail said, but she wouldn't lose two EpiPens. One maybe, but not two of them. Nick motioned to the kitchen. You can look, but we opened every drawer and cupboard. They have to be here. The daughter went through the same motions they had and found nothing. She shook her head, puzzled. Something's wrong. Mom stayed here the last two weeks and invited me and my brother Alex and his wife Allegra to spend the weekend with her. I saw the ep... Her name's Allegra? Yeah, A-L-L-E-G-R-A. -L -L -E Allegra? Is that the way you'd say that? Yeah, just had to make sure. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a... <clears throat> cough medicine is not is that medicine is that, can't, 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 I, I take allegra d no way i take <laughs> don't i because it's, it's I, no product anyway. placement please <clears throat> you're right you're right <laughs> which happened yeah it's like i'm accidentally drinking you know uh i, I don't know i'm gonna stop talking <laughs> mom stayed here the last two weeks and invited me and my brother alex and his wife allegra to spend the weekend with her I saw the EpiPen in the junk drawer when I got the corkscrew for wine. Then somebody took it because it's gone, Nick said. Abigail stared at him. Why would anyone do that? Nick asked about the red and gold box with the chocolate dessert. Oh, that's easy, Abigail smiled. Mom was usually disciplined. She walked every day for exercise and always was careful about her diet, but she couldn't resist the chocolate raspberry cake. She called it her kryptonite. So she'd had it many, many times, Laurel asked. The daughter frowned. Well, every birthday for like the last 10 years. Why? Nick explained about the peanut oil in this one. Abigail shook her head. No, the bakery makes it with butter, not peanut oil. The deputy had it tested, he said. This one had oil. Impossible, it, it wouldn't taste the same. When Nick hesitated to answer, Abigail scowled at him. What? He looked uncomfortable. The doctor said it wouldn't take much to kill your mom. But Lucinda knew mom was allergic, Abigail said determinedly. I don't think the bakery made the cake. Nick studied her. They didn't deliver it. Abigail blinked, confused, and, and then her knees gave, and Nick caught her. He lowered her onto a kitchen stool. Shaking her head, she said, you can't be right. Everyone loved mom. That's what everyone tells me. Nick went to bring her a glass of water. Who's going to gain from her death? You're going in the wrong direction, Abigail. Allegra D. <laughs> You're going in the wrong direction, Abigail told him. It's just Alex and me, and she was so generous to us, there was no reason to kill her. Generous how, Nick asked. Abigail took a deep breath. 
Mom moved into the condo and rented out the house to save enough money to take us on wonderful trips once a year. She and I went overseas in the summer, and she took Alex and Allegra during his vacation. All expenses played. Why the summer, Nick asked. Well, because I'm a teacher and, and I have them off. We went to Great Britain one year, Greece another, and we were scheduled for France this year. And your brother, Laura asked. Alex wanted to see Thailand, and Allegra, his wife, wanted to see Costa Rica, so she took them there. She told us she didn't want to wait until she was dead to give us money. She wanted us to enjoy it now. Is there someone else who'd benefit from her death, Nick asked. Abigail thought a minute. She's had a lot of offers on the Airbnb. I guess if somebody was really determined, Laurel cringed, would somebody really kill so they could buy a lake property? But she knew people had killed for less. Was your brother as close to your mother as you were, Nick asked. Abigail gave a quick nod. He adored mom, came once a month to see her. He'd have done anything to make her happy and complained that she wouldn't let him help her more. But mom liked being independent. Nick's brows were pulled together as he scribbled a few notes. And what about Alex's wife, Allegra? Did she love your mom? They clicked right away, Abigail said. Allegra loves to cook as much as mom did. They were always talking recipes with each other. Nick shrugged. I can't think of anything else to ask you. Abigail scowled at him. I know, I know it, I know it, I know it. I'll, I'll guess at the guest Jack part. Jack just so raised I'll his stop. hand. I did raise my hand. I'll, I'll guess later. Right, okay. right, my bad. Abigail scowled at him. You think someone killed my mom? You didn't know her. All my friends envied having a mom like her. Laurel sighed. Another dead end. Everyone loved Marjorie, but it looked more and more as if somebody killed her. Really, I could have waited 30 seconds to make my comment. We would have. Well, we, we have another chapter to go before the guessing time. Well, yeah, but I interrupted with two sentences left. <laughs> you didn't know that. <laughs> I could have psychically. <laughs> anyway. Uh, if you're going to use your psychic powers, use them on the lottery. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but that's gambling and I'm technically not supposed to. Wait. Did they raise the age limit to that? Or am I allowed to do that now? I think you're allowed to do oh, that cool. now. They raised the age limit to half the stuff here. They can't choose between 18 or 21. Hmm. I guess I didn't pay attention. But it's not gambling if you're psychic and you know the, you know the numbers. Oh, exactly. It's just betting on something that you already know, right? Yeah, it's a sure thing. It's only if you're not psychic that it's gambling. Yeah, I think. All right, anyway. All right. Chapter 5. Alex loves his mom, too. Talking to Abigail made Nick even more determined that Marjorie's death was a murder. When they walked the dunes, he asked, Do you mind if I call and talk to Alex? Tonight? Laurel was looking forward to a nice supper and a romantic evening. Nick smiled. Maybe we could meet him tomorrow afternoon. Would that work? We still had a nice day today, even though we met Abigail. He was right, and so she nodded. I'll call him when we get back to the house. Nick wrapped an arm around her waist. Do you like the dunes? What's not to like? She bent to pick up a pretty stone and slid it in her pocket. She had a lamp with a glass base at home that she could put it in. She started looking for more stones with different colors. Nick chuckled and started looking too. By the time they returned to the house, each of their pockets were full. While she started making shrimp scampi, he made his call. Alex and Allegra are coming tomorrow at 3.30, he announced. We'll have plenty of time to take the ferry tomorrow morning. Sounds like a plan. 
She dropped the pasta in the boiling water. You're on salad duty. First he poured them wine. Then they ate and relaxed, eventually finding themselves on the back patio to watch the sunset before going to bed. As she drifted to sleep, Laurel thought about Marjorie losing two EpiPens. Too much of a coincidence. But who'd let a nice person like her gasp for air as her throat constricted and couldn't breathe? Who'd be that cruel? Maybe it was someone who wanted the Airbnb, someone who didn't know Marjorie. But that seemed too random. The pieces to the puzzle weren't coming together for her. She fell asleep trying to fit everything into the right place. Nick woke first in the morning. When she heard him moving around and opened her eyes, he grinned at her. Have you got it solved? She blinked, confused. You mumbled in your sleep last night, he said. Last I heard you decided the bakery switch cakes on accident. Laurel ran her fingers through her curls, trying to tame them. I can't imagine anyone who knew Marjorie purposely suffocating her to death. So that's it. He came to sit on the bed beside her. Do you want to drop this, or is it bothering you too much? No, she was surprised by how angry she felt. Whoever did this thought it would look like Marjorie just suddenly died and no one would suspect what really happened. If we hadn't walked in when we did, we'd have found her body and we wouldn't have thought about nuts or EpiPens. Her killer's a monster. I want him caught. Nick dropped a kiss on her forehead. That's my girl. That's how I feel too. We have to decide who did it before we leave Michigan, she said. We're trying, he said. We've made Dan suspicious, too. He'll keep digging into it if we have to leave. She shook her head. No, I want to help catch her killer. But this is Sunday, he pointed out. We drive home tomorrow afternoon. Then you have to hurry. When he gave her a look, she wrinkled her nose in frustration. Michigan's not that far. We can come back next weekend. You're that serious? When she nodded, he said, Okay, then, we'll give it our best shot. But for now, we enjoy our coffee and pastries, then we'll head to the ferry and eat a late lunch somewhere. Nothing big, she said. We've gone through most of our food. We'll have to eat supper out. She pushed out of bed, grabbed a lightweight robe, and followed Nick to the porch to enjoy their breakfast. An hour later, they set off for town. The town boasted the only remaining hand-cranked chain ferry in the country. It crossed the Kalamazoo River to Oval Beach. They sat they walked at Sandy Shore before taking the return trip to town for some serious shopping. Laurel bought new dish towels and fancy soaps as souvenirs. Nick wandered the aisles of a bookstore and found a book about Lewis and Clark before they stopped at a restaurant for lunch. <laughs> then they spent more time in the local deli than they intended to, choosing fancy musters, spreads, and jams. They were sipping lemonade on the back patio when Marjorie's son Alex and his wife Allegra pulled in the drive. Nick went to greet them. Alex was tall and thin, wearing worn jeans and flip-flops. His wife was fit and trim with her blonde hair pulled back into a ponytail. She wore white capris with a knit top and jewelry sparkled at her ears and wrists. Alex sank into a long chair. I love sitting out here. Mom and I ended lots of summer days on this patio, watching the sun go down. Laurel could understand that. Back home in northeast Indiana, there were lots of lakes, but she could look across them. At a great lake, the view stretched to where the sun and water merged on the horizon. She poured glasses of lemonade for their guests. 
Did you enjoy the lake house too? She asked Allegra. Allegra pinched her lips together. I used to. Marjorie made everything fun. Glad we're staying outside. I was worried I'd break down if I came in. I don't think I'll ever be able to step inside the house again. When I see the kitchen, I think of mom. Alex frowned. In time, that could be a good thing, right? Remembering my mom? I knew coming here today would be depressing, but I guess it's brought me a little bit of closure. It must hold great memories for you, Laurel said. Alex's face crumpled. This was a kid's paradise, and our parents were the best. Abigail and I had great childhoods. But you moved to Grand Rapids, Laurel asked. My job's there. I'm an engineer. Allegra's in marketing, but we stay close enough to visit Mom at least once a month. All I've heard are good things about her, Nick said. Alex nodded, visibly struggling. She loved people. She loved to entertain. Allegra and I teased that we always had had that we always had to fast when we went home. There was always too much good food, really great wine, and lots of beer. Nick prodded. Did she have allergic reactions often? Not once that I can remember. She always read the ingredients on the packages and avoided nuts and nut oils. And she always had her EpiPens just in case. I just don't understand how she'd eat the wrong thing and lose both of her pens. We found the empty baked goods box from the local bakery when we got here, Nick said. Her neighbor saw someone deliver it, and it had nut oil in it. Alex shook his head. Impossible. Mom ordered that cake for special occasions for years. That's the odd thing, Nick said. The box had the bakery's name on it, but it didn't come from the bakery. The owner didn't deliver it. Nick waited for Alex to think that through. Alex frowned. That doesn't make sense. Why would somebody use one of Lucinda's boxes if they didn't make the cake? Laurel carefully said, It's almost too much of a coincidence that both empty EpiPens went missing at the same time. Alex glared at them. Wait a minute. What are you saying? That someone made Mom's cake and added nut oil to it on purpose and took her EpiPen so she'd die? It's a possibility, Nick said. No, it's not. Alex pushed to his feet. No one's been in the house with Mom last week but Abigail, me, and Allegra. Not even a neighbor, Nick asked. We left last Sunday, Alex said. Mom was going to give a birthday party for Max on Monday. He lives on the corner, but he and his wife caught the flu and everyone decided to postpone the get-together until they felt good again. But people probably dropped by, Laurel said. Alex shook his head. I don't think so. Mom started feeling under par, too, and no one wanted to catch what she had. She called, thrilled because her next-door neighbor was so sweet and brought her a cheese ball and crackers and left it on the porch table to cheer her up. Elaine didn't know about Mom's allergy, though, so Mom left it there and called Dottie to come get it. Nick looked at Laurel and held her gaze. If no one came in the house, one of Marjorie's kids killed her, but all three of them seemed to genuinely love the woman. Laurel tried again. Is there anyone you can think of who would benefit from your mom's death? Alex shook his head. You have to be wrong. You just have to be. No one wanted to lose mom. She was wonderful. Was she seeing anybody, Laurel asked? A, a spurned lover? <laughs> he snorted. Not mom's style. She always said no one could take dad's place, that he was waiting for her in heaven and someday they'd be together again. Allegra had been silent, brooding. Now she stood, too, glancing at her watch. We have to go. 
Alex and I have been looking at houses. That's why we couldn't get here till 3.30. We did a home tour this afternoon, and Alex promised to take me out for supper tonight. Alex stared at her. But they're saying that someone killed Mom. Supper can wait. No, it can't. Allegra balled her hands into fists and started to leave. I can't listen to any more of this. It was horrible enough to hear she died, but murdered? I'm never coming back to this place. Never. She stomped away, and Alex ran to catch up with her. All right, we're at the part where we pause to give you a chance to catch the killer. Am I allowed to say who I think it is? Of course you are. I feel like it's obvious. Who is it? Allegra D. <laughs> Why is it obvious? I feel like it's... Well, What's your evidence, my so friend? earlier, it said that Allegra D and, you know, margarine oranges, like, cooked together. And since clearly the cake didn't come from the bakery, it will go to the other person who knows how to cook, being Allegra D. And also... Uh, Allegra D was one of the three people allowed in the house. She would have access to all the bananas. Uh, she got weird when it came to the house and all that jazz. I don't know why. I I'm, I don't know why she did it. Hmm. They want I'm assuming it has to do something with the house. Because maybe maybe she wants the money from selling the Airbnb place to buy. And herself that is a, a classic house. Uh, murder mystery reason. Follow but, the money. But she doesn't want the house. She doesn't like the house. She talks about how much she hates the house. Right. But if, if they have a lake house on Lake Michigan or it sounds like the Kalamazoo River, I mean, it's probably worth a lot of money. But they're an engineer and a marketing person. They don't seem like the kinds of people to need the money from that kind of house. Like, how big of a house are you getting that you need to go sell two houses because what, they already live, do they live in an apartment or what? I don't know, it didn't really say where they live. Just that they were house hunting. They're house hunting, so they're going to leave wherever they were. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the uh, the motivation. Mm. But everything else, logistically, seems like she's the only option. Uh, I have to admit that I, I put the pause here because once Nick and Laurel really start investigating, it unravels pretty quickly. So if I went even halfway through the next chapter, it would be like you would know. Mm-hmm. So, um, But All you right. kind of nailed it. The suspects we have are Elaine and Dottie, the concerned next door neighbors. Mm-hmm. We have Dan, the deputy. I think we can safely say it was not Deputy Dan. Can we? I, he was honestly my first suspect. <laughs> was he? <laughs> I was okay, like, maybe we can't say it was Well, that I was death. thinking, Dan, well, now we know it's not. You already read the mystery. You know who did it. That is true. But so I now can... we do know it was Dan, but I thought it was Dan. You gave me. You gave me so many times. Even <laughs> when I don't think that I give something away, you're like, you gave it away. And I'm like, dang it. Well, you see, he was the first suspect because he was the first person who I met. Yeah. There's Abigail, Marjorie's daughter. Mm-hmm. There's what well, we talked about, Alex and Allegra, and then the cake maker herself, Lucinda. Those are really the only characters in the story. And the only one who seems to have any sort of turmoil with anything in life is Allegra D. Mm-hmm. So that's my guess. Well, before we head back in the mystery, I want to remind people to join our newsletter on the Prowl. There's a link in the show notes. It's supposed to come out every full moon, but to be honest, I'm a couple months behind, but I'm making a a commitment here to get back on track. I usually have little stories about things that I find in research and, you know, updates on what's coming out with the podcast. 
and a very exciting Raising Stakes, the third story in my uh, Detective Jesus de la Cruz series. It came out in February, February 14th, actually, which is an awesome day for a murder mystery to come out. So here's the back cover of it. The first day of summer is the last day of a young accountant's life. Colin McHenry is out for his regular run when an SUV crosses his path, crushing him. Within hours of the hit skip, Cleveland homicide detective Jesus de la Cruz finds a vehicle in the owner's garage who's on vacation three time zones away. Setup is obvious, but the hand behind it is not. The suspects read like a list out of a textbook. It's just the kind Jack likes. The jilted fiancé, the jealous co-worker, the overlooked subordinate, the dirty client. Raising Stakes, book number three in the De La Cruz case file series. Please tell me the cover of Raising Stakes is just a guy holding a filet over his head. Raising Stakes. (laughs) It's actually a really cool cover designed by uh, J.T. Lindros, who's done all of my book covers, and it's the front grill of of uh, a Chevy Tahoe. Oops. And my my whole computer thing just went dark, so give me a minute. So I had to tell you, the reason I started laughing when I was reading, it's the difference a comma makes. I was reading the sentence that said that Nick picked up a book by about Lewis and Clark, but without the comma, it said that he picked up a book about Lewis and Clark before they went out to dinner. <laughs> And as soon as I said, I was like, they wrote a book about Lewis and Clark before they went out to dinner. (laughs) And it was like one of those instantaneous thoughts. And I started giggling. And I know you were looking at me like I was nuts. And you clearly didn't hear me say that. I I also noticed that. And I was just like, the way there was no pause and how you said it just sounded like a little odd. There is a comma missing. That's why grammar matters, people. It's like the let's eat grandma thing. Let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Let's read about Lewis and Clark before dinner. (laughs) Oh, now I have to stop laughing. I got tears in my eyes. Can't read with tears. All right. Let's get that bass going, Jack. Chapter 6. Who Made the Cake? Laurel looked at her watch. It's still early. I want to go to town to shop at Lucinda's Bakery again. Frowning, Nick asked, You want more pastries for tomorrow morning? No, I want to see this cake, she said. We've talked to people, but we've never actually looked at the cake. Does that matter? He sounded confused. It might, she countered. With a shrug, he started picking up the glasses to carry inside. It's Sunday. Do you think the shops will be open? Laurel followed him. In a tourist town that can only make money when the temperatures are decent? I'm betting yes. And she was right. They walked into town and people were out and about and every shop was open. They were headed straight to the bakery. When they walked through the door, Lucinda smiled at them. You must have liked what you bought. Everything was delicious, Laurel told her. But we've heard so much about Marjorie's cake that we came to order two of them for dessert. I'm warning you. Some people find them too rich, Lucinda said, walking to the end of the glass case to point at the chocolate cakes on the bottom shelf. Laura stared. They're oval, almost the same shape as an eclair. 
Lucinda nodded. I had to buy special molds to make them. You can only find them at our local kitchen shop. The pan's a lot like a mandolin pan with eight individual molds, four on each side. Laurel bent to take a closer look at the desserts. Those aren't regular chocolate cakes, are they? Lucinda smiled. No, they're flourless chocolate mousse cakes. I filled them with homemade raspberry compote. Compote, sorry. Delicious, Laurel declared. We have to try them. Lucinda beamed. I'm so proud of them. I buy a special dark chocolate that you can only find at the local deli. Dark and rich. No one else can make them. But someone had gone to a lot of trouble to try. And it had to be someone local. Lucinda boxed the cakes up for her and said, Anything else? Nick sighed. Since we're here, we'll take two of your morning glory muffins too. Then we'll diet when we go back to Indiana. Lucinda laughed and waved them off as they left the shop. Once outside, Nick looked at Laurel. Brilliant idea. And where are we going to shop next? The kitchen shop? Nodding, Laurel led the way. Someone bought one of those cake pans recently. We need to know who. A young girl was working the cash register. While Laurel picked out two different cake pans, one shaped like a book and one like a football, and paid for them, she let Nick charm the owner into giving him the name of the person who recently bought the pan they were interested in. Once out on the sidewalk, Laurel turned to him with a raised eyebrow. Well? Allegra, he said. Allegra D, baby. I was right. Not Zyrtec. It was Allegra. <laughs> That's not what she wanted to hear. She wanted to be some stranger, someone Marjorie hadn't been so kind to. With the grimace, Laurel started to the deli shop, and they received the same news there. The manager had smiled and said, Allegra bought two pounds of chocolate for a party. I hope your desserts turned out well. Spirits sagging, Laurel grabbed Nick's hand to walk to the police station. She let Nick explain what they'd found, and Dan looked as disappointed as she felt. When, you're, when Nick finished, Dan rubbed his forehead tiredly. You two did all the footwork. You solved what happened. Do you want to go with me to confront her? Nick looked at Laurel and gave a, and when she gave a small nod, he said, Yes, we, we'd like some closure. I get it, Dad said. You want to ride with me? They got in his car and they rode to Grand Rapids. I feel like that's highly inappropriate. <laughs> but it's pretty effective for a short mystery story. He's going to arrest them. Where? Hold on. Where are they going to sit? On the way back, are they? Is, where is he going to sit? One of them has to sit in the back with the killer. Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now if they arrest him in Grand Rapids and hand him over to Grand Rapids police, maybe. But are they going to do that? I have no idea what the rules are. Do you have to extradite somebody from one state town to another? It's not like going across state lines. They're they're all in Michigan. Oh, they are? I So I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I wasn't really paying that much attention to the locations. I was surprised when Indiana was spoken. So Well, um, the, the Nick and Laurel live in Indiana, but they're on vacation also, in southern Michigan. Also, what part of this is Nick and Laurel's? I feel like they shouldn't be allowed to go. You know, imagine you're getting arrested and the guy staying at your victim's <laughs> hotel or whatever is like, I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> He's just showing up there, you know, flaunting his, I, I got you. Yeah, I'd be, the, I'd be the big crime man who moved in. But that is like every amateur sleuth mystery 
ever. Ever. They're all that way. That's part of that's part of the genre. I just I, I don't know. You have an interesting point about where they would sit. I think that's funny in my mind. That uh they're either one of them's just sitting in the back. Maybe maybe Laurel sitting on Nick's lap up front. With the cop? With the cop. Would the cop allow that? I, anyway, we should just read the story. <laughs> All right. I'm going to shut up now. Chapter 7. It has to be family. When they knocked on the door and Alex opened it, he stared. It's late Sunday night. Why did you come? Dan looked past Alex to Allegra sitting on the couch in the living room. I came to arrest your wife. Allegra heard and closed her eyes, a pained look on her face. Alex stared, upset, but Dan pushed past him. Why did you kill her, Dan asked. She was the best mother-in-law ever. Our whole town loved her. Why are you accusing Allegra? What's wrong with you? Dan came to confront him. I'm sorry, Alex came to confront Dan. Let's try that again. Why are you accusing Allegra? What's wrong with you? Alex came to confront him. Dan held up the pan Laurel had bought because she went to Kitchen Classics and bought this. And then she went to the deli to buy these. He held up chocolates. She baked the cake that killed your mother. Alex whirled on her. Tell them, Allegra. Tell them they're wrong. You loved mom. She looked away, not meeting his eyes. Your mother had her dream house, two of them. Why shouldn't I have mine? What? He stared. We're young. Mom and Dad started out in a two-bedroom ranch. It took them years to buy the lake house. Well, I don't want to wait that long, Allegra snapped. I love the house in the subdivision with the country club. We can't afford it. Alice took a step away from her. It was way over our budget. Not if your mom sold the lake place and divided the profits between Abigail and us. Allegra raised her chin. I hinted for her to do that, but she just smiled and said she could never part with her home. But, hon, she already shared her money with us. Her money. She paid for our trips. Wrinkling her nose, Allegra shrugged. Those were nice, but I wanted my dream home. It was mom's money, not ours. Alex glanced toward the kitchen. When did you learn to make Lucinda's cake? Lucinda doesn't make a big secret out of it, Allegra said. She knows no one else wants to go to that much bother. She told me about the cake pan and the chocolate, that it's flourless chocolate mousse cake, and I love to cook. The rest was just a matter of trial and error. Alex was stunned. But I never saw you make a chocolate cake. Allegra rolled her eyes. I threw them all away. It took me five tries, but it had to be perfect to fool your mom. Alex just stared at her. I thought I knew you. Squaring her shoulders, Allegra spat. You were never poor, were you? You never had to scrape and fight for everything you wanted. You killed my mother! He balled his hands into fists. He was screaming. She loved you! She had the perfect life, Allegra yelled back. It was my turn. Alex turned away from her, covering his face. Two officers had slid into the room as they talked, and Dan nodded to them. One clicked handcuffs on Allegra and led her away. I'm sorry, Dan told Alex. Alex shook his head, not able to respond. He looked shell-shocked. 
so miserable. Laurel wished there was some way to comfort him, but he just lost his mom and now his wife. Worse, his wife had murdered his mother. Nick and Laurel followed Dan to his SUV. Laurel sat in back and called Abigail. Your brother needs you. You should call him. She would have said more, but the phone went dead. Abigail had disconnected to check on Alex. On the drive back to town, town, Dan said, I had questions about Marjorie's death, but I let you follow up on them. Thank you. We would have done it after we left, Nick said. Dan thought about that a moment and nodded. I would have. It would have not nagged at me, but we don't get many murders here, none like this. You probably did a better job investigating it than I would have. He dropped them off at the Airbnb and said, You're probably going to write about this, aren't you? Nick nodded. No offense, Dan said, but I'd rather you didn't use anyone's real name. I understand. Nick often changed the names anyway to protect the innocent. He put that in the many of the book's forewords. No real names, not even the towns. When Dan left, Laurel's stomach grumbled. They'd forgotten to eat, and now it was so late, no shops were open. Nick shook his head. Sorry, I, I promised you dinner. I came prepared. Laurel took bread, butter, and peanut butter out of the refrigerator. Peanut butter sandwiches and chocolate cake? Nick frowned. Not a great way to end our vacation. But we caught Marjorie's killer. Then her mood sank. She hadn't wanted it to be family. Nick came to wrap an arm around her. Solving mysteries doesn't always leave you with the happy glow. Laurel took out four slices of bread and began to assemble their sandwiches. No, but it gave me a sense of justice. Marjorie deserved better. Most victims do, Nick poured wine. Want to watch one last sunset? Yes, they carried the paper plates to the back patio to savor their last night in Michigan. We'll save the cakes for later after we celebrate our last night properly. Well, we solved the mystery of where Allegra was going to sit. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's... that's in the n other car. Yeah, in the other car they brought. Cause, oh, anyway, that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> okay, so does the logic work? Theoretically. Yes. I mean, when you look... From backward forward, it's it's pretty straightforward. Allegra wanted to inherit mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And in order to inherit, Marjorie needed to die of natural causes. So the devious daughter-in-law learns how to craft her victim's favorite dessert and is an hour away at the time of the death. Then she turns on the tears. But Allegra didn't come close to pulling off the perfect crime. I mean, she left her fingerprints figuratively not literally mm -hmm. all over town oh yeah she was so certain no one would think twice about marjorie's death that she didn't even try to be sneaky and well that's what you get for being cocky well, that's the thing it's you gotta i feel like she should have realized it's gonna be hard to kill someone who's so widely loved there's gonna be also i feel like there was not as much effort put into finding her killer as there should have been for a small town who loved her dan seemed useless I, I think that's just a poetic license of the story because Nick and Laurel needed to. Yeah, I get. I mean, the yeah. story wouldn't exist if the yes. cop literally did everything. Do you but. know? How, you ever think about how many mysteries wouldn't be mysteries if people just talked? Like in Psych. Yeah, kind of like in Psych. Like people are going, um, 
well, meet me at midnight and I'll tell you my secret. And it's like, dude, you know you're going to die. Like, don't even say that. Well, I think the funny part is even in like those shows like Psych, you have like two storylines. It's the cops and the private yeah. investigators. And when they come together at the end and talk, they instantly know who it is. Right, because they both have half the information. Yeah, so all you had to do was do the whole thing together in the first place. Yeah. Could have felt, anyway. Yeah, so many, so many stories when you really look at it, you'll get to this point and you'll be like, you know, if you just would have told somebody that, we'd uh-huh. instantly either know who killed you or you wouldn't have died in the first place. Exactly. So, um, I didn't come close to solving it. You came much, much closer than I did. Um, at the point where we paused, that you know, there really weren't enough facts. You had to go on gut, like the way you did. You had well, to game the story. I, I feel like the biggest hint is you have to look at the weird little comments where you're like, why would anyone say that? Who cares? That's and that comment point. was literally... They cook together, and that's yeah. that's what it had for me. Yeah. All right, this is the part where you get to tell us about nuts and nut allergies. I was just about to start playing the end theme. All right, about nuts. She wrote a poem for me to read, and I well, will read it Well, that's on the second you. page. Start will, on the other page. But I will read it to you, not because I think it's a good poem, but because I think it should be heard. <laughs> not, it, I, 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 I may d- have had a little too much caffeine when I wrote that yeah, poem. Yeah, sure did, Mom. All right. <laughs> So this is called uh, About Nuts, parentheses, Jack. Uh, There are three kinds of nuts in the world. The kind you eat, the kind that is in the back end of a bolt, and the kind that holds an instrument together, like the the strings on a guitar. Only one kind of nut is capable of creating a medical emergency without breaking a sweat. That is incorrect. If you eat a bolt, you die. I guess it depends how big the bolt is. I guess without breaking a sweat... Yeah. If it's a little bolt, it'll go through you. And if it's a big bolt, you won't swallow it. So it's got to be just the right size bolt. Mm-hmm. Or nut. Uh, not I, the bolt. Nut, the nut. You're right. Anyway, uh, let's learn about nuts. Actually, I did a science project on nuts in middle or elementary school. Let's learn about nuts. Botanically, a nut is a fruit that consists of a hard outer shell and a kernel and, 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 and an inner kernel. There we go. Uh, for cooking, some dry seeds may be called nuts, but botanists would say nay-nay because there isn't an outer shell. Turns out people who care for such things separate, nut- separate nuts into two categories. Walnuts and pecan grow on trees and are called tree nuts. Pecan, peanuts, not pecans, peanuts are legumes like beans with the bean part growing underground. That is pretty cool. Uh, check on the link to Aunt Ruby's Peanuts. It is a some really cool stuff about the way these peanuts grow. So if you Google HTTP, Aunt Ruby's Peanuts.com. Anywho, nuts pack a lot of energy and nutrients into their little package. They contain high levels of fat, proteins, vitamins, and minerals. Everything a baby tree needs to grow into something that gives shade in the summer, leaves to rake in the fall, or could fall on your house in a storm. Funny enough, people need the same thing to stay healthy, which makes them a good food choice. Unless you have an allergy, uh, some people, immune systems, see a nuts and think... What wasn't even English? Some people's immune systems see a nut and think enemy invasion. Mild reactions can include itching, diarrhea, and other uncomfortable situations. Severe reactions can interfere with basics like breathing and blood pressure. In the nut world, <laughs> uh, it seems life peanuts. Typo. Life peanuts like. <laughs> it seems like peanuts. What I don't understand. It seems peanuts are the worst allergy offenders. 
Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America reports. Selfish is the number one. Oh, Asthma and Allergy Foundation. The Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America reports shellfish to be the number one allergen among U.S. adults. That's lame. Followed by peanuts and tree nuts. For kids, it was milk, eggs, and then peanuts. Going on the many, many websites available on the topic will lead to some confusing information on what is a nut and what isn't. What is an allergy, which involves immune system stuff, uh, and what isn't any other part of the body like digestion. That's the end of the sentence. Yep. All right. Well, the consensus is for somewhere between 1 in 50 people and 1 in 200 people. What? Their immune system sees nuts as an enemy invasion. For a subset of these people, fighting the invasion can be deadly without an expert help. Man, I'm supposed to read, like, actual stuff at some point in my life, and I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> you might if you looked at it before you had to actually read it into a microphone. But, like, uh... Or you write it yourself. Was the idea that I was going to read my episode? I don't have to, but if that does happen, man, it's going to be a rocky ride, man. I can read it. It might be more entertaining if I read yours. I, I think it's better if you don't proofread it and you just go in and I want, I'd rather you just, you know, I can send dig it to into Karen it. to proofread. I think it's better if it has all the flaws in it. So it's impossible to read because half the sentences are incomplete. But you know, I, I, my eyes read so fast that I don't see those flaws. Like there's, there's actually a thing in psychology where your brain will automatically fix things. That's why these things end up with typos that I never see. There's like a thing someone did where they took like a whole page of words. They kept the first and last letter and mixed up all the middle letters and you could read the whole thing. That would be me. And it was cool because that was like people your brain automatically finishes anyway we have a poem here we have a poem <clears throat> i wrote a poem and it's called nuts are yummy it's not called that uh this is the first line it goes nuts are yummy nuts are sweet nuts are a good kid's treat nuts are pretty no they're not nuts are fruit kind of and unlike beans you won't they i'm gonna restart nuts are yummy nuts are sweet nuts are a good kid's treat Nuts are pretty. Nuts are fruit. Unlike beans, won't make you toot. Nuts are healthy, except for a few, where nuts are a food that can literally kill you. That's funny. It's <laughs> a good poem. I couldn't read it. <laughs> nuts are a good kid's treat, and unlike beans, won't make you toot. That you know, beans, beans, the magic. Yes, fruit. I know that, but the sentence itself, my brain couldn't do it. Anyway. I guess I'm missing a comma. Uh, and then it says list of reference sites. Not all of these are equally good, but I'm not advocating for any. Just giving in the sheet left a we'll link to Wikipedia. We'll put them in the show notes. We'll it's a link to Wikipedia, ma. I, I love Wikipedia. Just tell them to I look up Wikipedia. Wikipedia. You don't. There's lots of sources on there. We'll post them in the show notes. You donate to Wikipedia? What? You donate to Wikipedia? I do. It's a 501c. It's a, it's a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. And I use them a lot because... Yeah. They have information on, like, everything. Yep, they sure do. They sure do. So let's learn a thing or two about our author today, Judy Lynn. So Judy Lynn is a prolific writer of romance and cozy mysteries. And her Jazzy Xander series are cozies, and they have excellent reviews. Every one of her eight books in the series has an average rating of about four stars. One reviewer wrote, Judy Lynn has created a great character in Jazzy Sanders. 
I love that she is a confident woman working on flipping houses, not just decorating. Jazzy Sanders. I love her names. (laughs) Yet she still has her flaws. It was also very refreshing to see a police officer welcoming help from a, quote, nosy person, as they are so typically called. Nick and Laurel have their own stories. Posed in Death came out in 2021 and is set up for a long and adventurous series. My question to Judy is, when is the next one coming out? If your tastes run to urban fantasy, Judy writes those under the name Judy Judith Post. Judy writes a weekly blog called Writing Musings. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's https colon forward slash forward slash writing musings dot com and that wraps up this episode of mysteries to die for oh jack we forgot to talk about the music that you wrote oh yeah so i'll be honest i kind of cheated on this episode what do you mean you cheated well i'll I'll tell i didn't cheat and i did nothing illegal all right no you did Um, not so for every um character person Story. story that gets written uh the authors can send me uh the favorite uh music of that character so if you notice they actually mentioned the favorite music of this character in this book which was dusty springfield and black velvet by the other person alana miles that one anyway i w- uh, i am i i wrote the music based off that truth be told i had already written this music so i have a big uh manuscript book in front of me and I just picked songs out of here that I thought that fit because I, I already wrote them. Mm. So, like, the one that I started with, which was this one. That's a song I wrote that I called Sour Life. Anyway, um... I didn't actually write the lyrics to any of these. Well, I, I started and then I got bored. Um, I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 that I have here. And I think I used four different songs in this episode. Mm. Uh, I already have one here that I'm going to use for the next episode. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of a jazzy tune. Then I have like a waltz here. That would be real good if someone like makes an old-timey guy, which I don't think anyone will because old-timey stuff's kind of overdone. Well, how how old-time? Well, it's like, you know, a little jazz. It's a waltz, you know. So like 1920s or earlier? Sure, yeah. Because we do have one coming up that was set in, well, it was the late 1800s. I think that'll work. So I got like a waltz here and just a bunch of stuff that can like work in 3-4 time. And I think 3-4 time works great with that older stuff, you know? It does. Isn't that what what waltzes are yeah three quarter time well it's a lot more than that you also got to have like the specific swing in it which yeah. i didn't put in some of them so they're not technically waltzes but this one i did Very it's cool. kind of like cheeses like <laughs> in france oh. uh the two cheeses can be the same exact cheese yes but they're different kinds based off of where they're from just like champagne is only legally champagne if it's made in champagne france right so it's like that but a waltz you know, when we went to Dijon, France, years and years ago, mustard. it was amazing how many mustards are in Dijon. <laughs> and they're really good tasting. And some of them are so potent. Like, yeah, they'll make you cry. <laughs> oh, delicious stuff. Anyway, I'm going to go back to playing the intro, outro, theme song thing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Become a member of our Body Bag Brigade by financially supporting this season with a one-time donation. Pay what you can. Interested in advertising on Mysteries to Die For? Check out our website. Information is in the show notes and on our website at tgwolf.com forward slash podcast. Mysteries to Die For is written by T.G. Wolf with contribution by Jack Wolf. Nuts was written by Judy Lynn. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. And episode art is by me, T.G. Wolf. Come back in two weeks. We're going to have another original story for you. All right, Jack, the floor is yours. so much fun recording these.